How's everybody doing today? That's pretty good, but not good enough. How's everybody doing today? I just want to thank the team again for continuing to lead us in uh, worship the way they have. It's just extraordinary. You do that with me. Thanks, guys. It's crushing it. We got an amen down here. You got one amen. I bet I can get more amens than you. <laughs> okay, you go give me one. Hey, my name is Ryan. If, uh, if you are new to Impact, I'm one of the pastors here. And we are in a series, it's up here on the screen, it's called, it's, we're calling it our Impact Summer Series, and uh, it is a series of the study of Psalms, and I need you to know we're actually going to dive right in tonight because uh, this Psalm is so packed full of goodness that um, Martin Luther wrote 88 pages on this Psalm. We would be here an equivalent of about 3 a.m. if I uh, keep you here the length of what's in here. So we're going to move into it and we're going to hit it hard. But I just want to say this. I don't know about you, but sincerely, this psalm series is doing, uh, it's doing something interesting. It's kicking my butt every weekend. Okay. And it is nurturing and teaching my soul as one of your leaders. And I am so stoked that we get to do this together, that we get to look through the word of God to find the heart of God so that we can actually implement that in our lives. You guys, when we do that, it transforms everything around us. It makes such a difference as people of God when, you, when we get serious about what it is to actually reflect the character of God in our lives. I don't I don't care if you're five years old in here and I don't care if you're 95 years old in here. If you're not dead, you're not done. God's word can do stuff inside of you and inside of the communities you affect that absolutely brings heaven to earth. We believe that. And so I welcome my butt getting kicked even more. And I hope my soul learns and is nurtured. So that's what we're going to, that's what we're going to do tonight. Okay. We're going to jump straight in. Psalm 101, open up your flat screens, whatever device you have, or if you um, somehow do not have a Bible app on that thing, download it while you're reading off the sky screens here, okay? It begins this way. I will walk with integrity, a Psalm of David. We're gonna stop there. Right in the title, I will walk with integrity. This is... The inaugural address and prayer over David's reign as king. Did you know that? I did not know that until digging into this. So just as a president of our country would take the uh, presidency, the White House, the executive branch, this psalm is the psalm that David wrote that would carry him forward, that would mark, that would be an anthem for his leadership, the kind of leadership he believed God was calling and expecting of him. And the, that, that's, that's incredible when you understand some things about David. So we're gonna take just a second and unpack what this comes out of, okay? He wrote this as he would, was anointed and announced king over all Israel. Why is that important? Because he was actually anointed 15 years earlier in a blessing that would predict that he would be the future king. Five years prior to this moment, he was anointed when Saul died, the king of Judah, one of the tribes of Israel, but not all the tribes of Israel. And then at this point, he's finally being anointed to take the throne of all of Israel. Now, when I use the word all, some of you need to hear that right out of the gates because you're in some sort of a liminal place. You're, you are experiencing some kind of a pause and you know God's call and his purpose for your life, but right now you are not feeling like it's being released. You, there's some really good news because David for 15 years took time and listened and learned at the feet of God while a despot was king of over Israel. A nincompoop. 
If you read the life of Saul's most erratic, irrational, irresponsible king imaginable, and he had it all. He had all the ability, he had all the talent, but he did not have integrity in his life. And David is taking the throne after literally watching King Saul's reign disintegrate because of that lack of integrity. He had watched He had undergone brutal treatment while protecting the people of Israel as the nation staggered under the dishonorable character and political duplicity of Saul. He was even wrongly accused and he was banished as a fugitive from the nation. He ran from Saul while he was anointed to be the next king. Guys, are you hearing me? If you're in a place right now where you feel stuck, you believe God has called you to something, this is good news because it is in that place sometimes that God does the most work in your soul to create a character after his own heart. I I think David learned firsthand a proverb that his son, King Solomon, would later pen. And here's what he wrote. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. Any of you feeling that lately in our community, in our nation? The devastating lack of integrity in positions of power and influence today is a vast, expansive, disgusting slaw. In our communities, in our families, and our nation and even our world are staggering under the weight, the state of affairs that we find ourselves in. See, what becomes of us when our parents lie, who can we trust? When our spouse cheats, what does that mean about love? When our friends deceive, who can we lean on? When the media abandons facts, how do you know what's real? When a pastor becomes an imposter, where can you find shepherding? When our leaders abandon reason, whom do we follow? When politicians abuse their power, what will become of civilization? And when Facebook is really false book, how do we discern perception versus reality? That's a lost cause, just shut that thing down. When society hides behind filters, where do we look for unadulterated truth? See, I, I believe this psalm and I believe, I believe integrity of character, our character is where we need to move. When the world is in these kinds of dire straits, drinking its own delusions and eating its own lies, it is time for the church to show up and lead true and steady the way Jesus called us and empowered us to. I dream of impact being a people who encounter moral chaos with integrity, who meet malfeasance with justice, and who heal the infection of deception throughout our communities with grace and with truth. David knew what we must learn, church, that integrity starts with us as his people with authenticity in our influence, with our conduct in our homes, with our honesty at work, with our wholesomeness as leaders, and in our conduct in our communities. This wholeness and holiness begins by getting our insides to look like our outsides, our actions to match our speech, and our steps to point towards Jesus. Tolstoy said this, he said, everything, everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing himself. That's not how David starts his song. He looks first at his own character. He looks first at the conduct of his own life. Look look at what he says. If you haven't had time to, to, to turn to Psalm 101, you're slow. Verse one, I will sing of steadfast love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will make music. I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? Look, David knew, David knew that steadfast love and justice are not rooted, hear me, in the fickle, flimsy will of humanity. Sin and our willful rejection of God makes it impossible to look inside ourselves for our own source of integrity. It has never worked and it never will. 
So he begins by calling on the true source, the headwaters of integrity, where each of us absolutely must begin if we're to have any hope of walking this way. Church, listen to me. There is hope in these first two verses because it is not dependent on us to create our own holiness. This is core to the gospel. If you are here tonight and you are thinking, I don't even know what in the world he's talking about. There's only darkness and there's only desperation and there's only wreckage in the trail of tears behind my life. There is hope for you and his name is Jesus. You do not need to stay where you are because there is one who loved you and fought for you and gave himself up for you. And he is blameless. And he is innocent. And he is perfect. And it is when his life gets inside of you that actual integrity starts coming outside of you. David knows that. He literally knew that the only place to find this kind of true all the way to the bone, steadfast love and justice was through the Lord Yahweh I am. God introduced himself to Moses and Moses said, what's your name? And he said, I am that I am which is to say there's nothing else worthy of swearing by or making an oath by. There's nothing else in all the universe that defines reality except the one who created reality, ultimate reality. I am that I am. If we're gonna find a source for this kind of integrity and this kind of wholeness, we have to start by looking at Yahweh. I I don't want to leave this just yet because the rest of this psalm reads like a king who is going to take power. A king who was going to set a standard. A king who was going to make sure that it was a principled reign. And it's scary. Because when we get honest about what's inside of us a lot of times, we run from this sort of wholesomeness and this sort of holiness and this sort of dignity and this sort of honesty. And so lest we forget right here, right when we start, It is all dependent on Jesus' work. David knows it. He cries out. He sings songs. He says, oh, when will you come to me? You are my source for this. And so as we hear the rest, as it chastises us, as it did me this week, I wasn't joking. I've got bruises on my butt. I want to make sure that we anchor ourselves and tether ourselves on the one who perfects us. The one who writes our story. So before we can live truthfully, church, before we can deal honestly and lead blamelessly, you gotta be in submission to the spirit of God inside you as the source. If you're going to walk with love and justice the way David did, start by becoming like Jesus. Then David goes on. He says, I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? There's a couple of things right here. To ponder is to pay exclusive attention to. It's to learn from, to study carefully, to think about deeply. And to be blameless is to be unblemished and unfractured is to be whole or wholesome or completely holy. In a literal sense, David is saying, I will study God's way in order to imitate his blameless way of living. Now, for some of you who are like, I don't know what to, here's the deal. Um, when you're out in the woods and you're hunting, right? And you have uh, this desperate desire for a monster buck to come walking down the path 
um, or some of you to put venison in your freezer because your kids are eating you out of house and home, whatever the reason for this. You go out into the woods. In today's world, there's a lot of sophisticated way to do this, but do you know what we do as hunters? We study, we ponder the trail, the way, the pathway of the deer. You can go out in the woods and you can set up your blind or your tree stand in all manner of stupid places. You can literally identify a location in the woods, climb a tree, put your, uh, put your tree stand up and think that there's gonna be a deer that comes along and nothing's gonna happen because you haven't pondered the lay of the land. You haven't looked at where the trails are. You haven't evaluated where you see the movement of the deer. This is what it is that David is doing in the original text. This pondering is to, to say, I wanna see where God is. I want to watch the movements around me so that I can see how the spirit is moving and that's where I'm going to go and that's how I'm going to be because I'm, I'm in a sense hunting the presence of God. I want him that much. I'm after him in my life. Oh, when will you come to me? Do we ponder him that way? Uh, to, to want this kind of integrity, steadfast love and justice without pondering God, without thinking about God, without putting him as the primary thing your gaze is fixed on, you, you won't be able to live this way. It's a choice that he gives to us. So hunt him. And then once the Lord met him, once he had that perspective, once his gaze was where it was, he says this next. He says, I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. We'll walk here. Listen to this church is a future progressive tense. Not I am this way right now, but I aim to become this way. There's a big difference. There's hope for us in that. In our imperfect imitation of Christ, we falter and we fall down. Every one of us does that, including and perhaps principally me. If we hold our aim, though, we will continue in the direction that leads to the destination. See, listen, direction and movement, not intention, determine our destination and our legacy. Amen. We get this wrong. You've heard it, the, the, the road to, to hell is paved with good intentions. It is not our intention that gets us to the destination. What gets us to the destination is the direction we are aimed and the movement that we take. Now I wanna take just a second. I will walk, he says, with integrity of heart. So let's define integrity. A theoretical understanding of integrity is just this, is wholesomeness of heart committed to moral goodness at all costs. If you're talking to a philosopher or theologian, they'd love that one, okay? But here's the active integrity. Here's what we're talking about is doing the right thing God's way, even when it costs you. That's working integrity. That's integrity that makes a difference. That's integrity that changes things. All the theoretical concepts in the world won't, but action, obedience will. David knew what any of us who have lived just a little while have learned, especially those of us who are parents. He knew that if you can't keep integrity at home, you will not be able to live out integrity anywhere else. I, I will walk with integrity of heart within my home. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, how fares it with your family? Do you sing in the choir and sin in the chamber? Are you a saint abroad and a devil at home? For shame, what we are at home, that we are indeed. This is a, 
This is a massive element of integrity that you are the same person at home, that you are the same person at work, that you are the same person when you walk in here, that you are the same person when you're in the supermarket, and you are the same person when you're behind your screen. It's the most difficult proving ground to live with principles and good character. When I talk about getting kicked in the butt, I'm normally talking about how I parent my children. Okay? I desperately need grace in this area, but I need you to know that this is, this is the issue. It's easiest to see the cracks and the fracturing in our integrity from inside the home, from people who are closest to us. That's where the, the real evidence of whether something goes all the way to our core actually exists. That's what David is saying. I'm gonna start there. That's where I've gotta begin. Andy Stanley said, integrity in leadership begins with the person in the mirror. If I'm not leading the person in the mirror well, eventually my failure to influence me will impact some other people and other mirrors and the first other people and other mirrors affected are your family. Mother Teresa said it this way, if you wanna change the world, go home and love your family. And David moves on. He said, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. Now, I love this. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. We've already been sort of looking at what that means. Where is your gaze? What direction are you going? But here's the deal. I actually studied this last week. I spent some time looking up infant physical therapy. Did any of you know there was such a thing? None of you knew. <laughs> infant physical therapy. I thought, how in the world would an infant need physical therapy? Well, very often, especially babies born prematurely, do not develop their fine motor skills or even their large motor skills correctly. They need a therapist. And here's why they need a therapist. Because as parents like me, what, what we tend to do is we would take, you know, if, if your little one cannot figure out how to actually grab the toy that's right in front of them, and you're realizing all the other kids that are four and five and six months old or seven or eight in their, you know, whatever step of motor development they need to be. I'd need my wife up here to tell me that. Um, you, you, you're, you're looking at the toy and they're not grabbing the toy. They don't seem to have the ability to grab the toy. A parent typically grabs the toy for them and puts it in their hand. That's what I would do. And then I'd be like, feel it. Like, come on now, now, now wrap your fingers around, grab hold of that thing. You see that? But, but what I did is I actually was the one who moved my child's arm and fingers to grab the toy. You go to an a, a infant physical therapist, they literally say, back up, dad. Get out of the way. You're doing it all wrong. And here is what they do. They will they'll spend hours, patience, and they'll take that toy and they'll hold that toy right in front of the gaze of that infant. They will hold it until the eyes actually lock on. And once the eyes lock onto that toy long enough, then they begin to move the toy. And when they start moving the toy, it triggers an activity in the neurons of the brain to desire and want the toy. And when desire and want happen, the good part about how God gave us that actually mobilizes the child to move its hand and to try to grab the toy. Did you know that? I thought that was absolutely spectacular because what that tells me is this, where you look long enough is where you turn and where you travel. What you gaze at is what you grab for. You see? So he's saying, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I don't want a worthless thing to pull me into it. I don't want a worthless thing to take or steal my attention. I don't want a worthless thing to redirect my life and to take me off of the destination and the purpose that Jesus has for me. 
I will not put anything worthless in front of me that would jeopardize my integrity. Do you remember the song? You gotta remember the song from, you know, fourth, uh, when you're four years old in Sunday school. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. I, I wonder if David wrote that when he was like a shepherd boy. You know what I'm saying? And then he says, the work of those who fall away is despicable to me. I will not allow things to capture my gaze that will pull me from God's right way. This, this is phenomenal uh, teaching for us to take hold of. And in Psalm 16, verse 18, he said, I have set the Lord always before me. Do you see the contrast? Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Most of us merely glance at what is truly beautiful, that is God and his character. And instead we gaze at what's broken. And it's time we reverse that if we want to have unshakable integrity, is what David's saying. Gaze at the true beauty of God's character. Be amazed by it. Keep your focus on it. Desire it. Move towards it and it will begin to be all the more desirable for you. And then he says in verse four, it's just kind of heavy hitting. He says, a perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Perverse Listen to this. Perverse is the opposite of integrity. A perverse thing is a twisted thing or a broken thing, literally bent so that it points the wrong way. We're back to direction. We're back to where we're aiming. For most of us, our greatest regrets are preceded by a series of unwise decisions. Maybe not even wrong decisions. Maybe not immoral decisions. Maybe not illegal decisions. Just unwise decisions. And we can be conscious, this is the good news, we can be conscious about the small steps of these unwise decisions so that we can correct the trajectory before significant catastrophic lapses in integrity destroy our legacy. It's what David is saying. He says, I'll know nothing of evil. Now, now think with me about that. There, there is real danger, church, Every single day, you and I are in real danger of allowing the deluge of bad news in the media to have constant access to our heart. I believe that. In the last decade, I believe that to my very core. We spend inordinate amounts of time gazing at media. And when story after story of moral failure or outrageous deceit and scintillating stories of celebrities when, when those are the things that form us, the, 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 the celebrity failures like Amber Heard and Johnny Depp or religious leaders like Robbie Zacharias or Brian Houston or political crises, case in point, Joe Biden and Donald Trump. One crises and catastrophe after another. When they take up our primary attention, we break. We break. And we fracture under the weight of knowing evil all the time. It's hard to expect God to be the sole source of our identity if media is the primary source of our formation. So stop. <laughs> cut it out. Like cut it out of your daily routine. Stop watching and listening to most news sources, especially the degrading ones, which again is most. Stop lingering on sensual, sexualized images and Instagram reels. Stop. Stop consuming the celebrity gossip for the latest scandals. You'll become a scandal. Stop obsessing about oil reserves and inflation every day, all day. I don't want to hear about it anymore. So don't come talk to me about it. 
Stop fixating on your spouse's mistakes and failures and start encouraging. Stop imagining and predicting all the things that could happen in politics. They're gonna happen anyway. Stop listening to derogatory coworkers who offer juicy tidbits and suck you in. Stop assuming and believing the worst about your kids every move and support them. Stop watching movies and shows that degrade and defile goodness and stop letting darkness have a corner in your mental framework because it wants the whole picture. And then here David changes, okay? This has been all about personal integrity. Four power-packed verses of poetic song. Personal integrity. Now he moves to the people that he will invite into the circles around him. Now he moves to who is my cabinet going to be? What is the character and the conduct of their lives going to look like? Who am I going to invite into close proximity to lead under me? Who do I want to be the primary influencers of the nation of Israel? That's where he moves now. Listen, verse 5 says, Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. Three times now the heart has been mentioned. Listen to this. This is really interesting. Our, this is our inner being. This is the center at the core of who we are. And as it's been mentioned three times, we're, we're shown three different ways that it actually reveals what's in there. And this is, this is useful for us if you are trying to figure out if you're fractured or whole or how fractured and whole you are. The first one was at home when we are the least guarded. The heart exposes itself. The second is right here in slander, in our words. When the mouth speaks, it exposes. And the third is a haughty look from the eyes when they express feeling. This, these things will tell us the content of our heart. Jesus said it this way in uh, Matthew 12, 34. He said, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And listen to me, a critical heart speaks biting words, church. A, a fractured heart speaks broken words. A proud heart speaks self-righteous words. A false heart speaks deceitful words. A considerate heart, though, speaks careful words. An authentic heart speaks sincere words. A steadfast heart speaks enduring words. A truthful heart speaks trustworthy words. And to change your mouth, let Jesus get to your heart. See? And when we do that, that actually makes us the kind of influencers over our family Maybe that's all you have influence over is your family. And you don't think that matters. It matters so much. We already saw that in the home, friends, workplace. You have so much influence. You have more influence than you can imagine. If you will walk into those spaces with, with this kind of a heart, this sort of speech, it will transform the world around you. Because you are speaking Jesus into environments that desperately need him. And then he says, a haughty look. And we experientially know what this is. Again, especially you parents. Think of the last time you disagreed with or disciplined your preteen or teenage child. Oh, help you. Help you. You're probably bleeding out right now where you sit. But, but that's, what, that's where we see it. You know what a haughty look is in that moment, don't you? When, you, when you're disagreeing or maybe you're confronting or you're looking at, at disciplining a situation, very often with that child, you will get a, a, a look on their face that is sheer and utter disdain, contempt. It's a haughty look, and it's revealing the content of their character in that moment. We have one of our children, absolute blessing to us. And uh, 
when, when, we, would, when we would discipline uh, her, especially when she was a little bit younger, since I have three, you still have no idea who this is, what we would say uh, was, um, when this haughty look would be the response, when it was sheer disdain back, we would say, uncross your arms and let go of your attitude. Anybody else? Our nonverbal facial expressions very often communicate more about the integrity of the heart than even our words can, church. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 22, he said, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. Six, David goes on, he says, he says this, this is the kind of person I'm inviting in. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land. Faithful, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. And there's just two things I wanna pull out of this. Faithfulness is this. These are the gritty folk. That's the word that came to my mind in my heart. These are the gritty folk. These are the people who are honest, loyal, sincere, and steadfast. They're farmers. These are, these are people who are committed to a standard and they stand and they endure. They're uncompromising in their commitment to do what is right no matter the cost. And, and believe you me, there has to be a commitment that's made or you're just adrift. If you expect integrity to hit you like a lightning bolt, it never will happen. There's to be a decision made to follow Jesus. There's to be a decision made to say, come on inside of me and make me like you, Jesus. And the second is minister, that word shall minister to me. That, that is, uh, he who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. A better translation, I believe, is serve, servants. These are humble-hearted folk, people who are servant-hearted, guileless, selfless, and hardworking without an agenda and for their own advantage over others. They are not for their own advantage over others. Humility is a crucial element of integrity. To be whole, to be holy, we have to be willing to submit ourselves to the best interests of other people and serve them and lift them up to bring them to the places that God has in mind for them. It's just like Jesus and his humility. He showed us this. He said, wash the feet of, a, look at what I will do. I will demonstrate to you the kind of humility that I expect if you are following me that you will do for the people around you. This is what David is saying. I want those kind of people. I want the faithful people. I want the people who are gonna get out there and are gonna serve other people. Not for their own gain, not for their own advantage. In fact, sometimes they're gonna lose because they loved. We often, need to expect to lose because we loved. Yeah. But that's unpopular. It's Jesus. Amen. Seven, no one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Right here, we're given this really, really interesting and helpful tool. When it says practices deceit, think eventually leads to uttering lies. So I think, I think so much in our world is predicated on our image, right? That, 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 you are supposed to, um, that you are supposed to go out and create the image that you wanna have. And then you're supposed to promote that image and you're supposed to market that image and you're supposed to spin doctor that image. And if that's what you're doing, then you are going to have to shade the truth just a little bit. You're gonna have to put a, a bit of a spin on it. You're gonna have to polish something up a little bit. You're going to have to put a little bit more vivid color in that spot. You might have to take out a few, a few wrinkles in, in the image that you put on your resume that you send out. You maybe take off a few pounds. 
We can do all that now, right? And so what, we, what, what, what has become commonplace is that deception is normative. That, that it, it's okay. And once a little bit of deception is okay, and believe me, church, this is hitting me right in the face, okay? Once a little bit of deception is okay or normal, then another step, then, a, then another easy, it's not that big of a deal. It's not even a lie yet. I was just tweaking things. But, but, but once you have two things, then, then you have a pattern. And once you have a pattern, you actually have to really start lying in order to maintain the pattern. And pretty soon, your integrity is shot through. It's the direction you're pointed and the small incremental steps that take you to the eventual outcome. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 5.37. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Ooh. Jesus is getting at a particularly important part. It's a part, it's not the whole of integrity, but it's a part of it in walking with integrity. And that's truth telling. That's where he's going here. If, if, if you say yes, let it really be yes. Don't say yes here, but no over there. Don't say yes here, but live like no over there. Your kids will point that out. If you say yes, let it be yes. If you say no, let it be no. If you're a math person in here, you, you should know, well, you should know two things. One, I don't like you because I can't keep up with you. Two, an integer is a whole number as opposed to a fraction. An integer is the root of integrity. So anything that would fracture us, anything that would take apart our whole is actually destroying our integrity. So a person without integrity is fractured by duplicity. They're split. They have multiple maybes and slowly erosion and disintegration starts taking place. But a person with integrity is whole. They're the same throughout, through and through. Here's an integrity quiz for you, okay? And I made myself take this, so I get to give it to you. Questions to identify whole, the whole person or a fractured split person. Do you say one thing, but do another thing in your life? Do you say you believe one thing, listen to me, but really you're thinking another thing? That one got me. Are you one way in public and another way in private? Are you one way with us, but another way with them? Here's an example of that. If you're hanging out in Detroit with blue collar people, okay? It's a party, it's a big party, lots of your friends there. And you make a statement like, you know what's saving labor in the United States? The labor unions, raw! Then two days later, you're over here in Grand Rapids with your white collar friends. And you're sitting there and the topic comes up and you're like, well, no, it's ruining the, the, uh, the labor in the United States. It's those labor unions. Is that you? Are, you? are you always making something seem a bit better or worse than reality? Are you something different at work than what you are at church? Are you different online than what you are in reality? Are you a snarling lion online and an itty bitty little kitty in reality? <laughs> so what happens here, again, is a, a digression occurs from just mild things that make us duplicitous and it takes us further, further, and we become a duplicitous self. And then we, we begin to make deception a common part of ourselves. And the first deception leads to the second one and makes it easier. And the second deception produces a pattern of fallacy. And the third, third deception, lies, begin to sustain your existence. And then the fourth is, um, lies become utterances that uphold your existence. 
and it, and it degrades. It, it, it's plaguing our, our nation. It's plaguing our communities. It degrades uh, the fabric of society. It, it honestly begins to disintegrate a human dignity. Corrupts community. And so what David is saying is, no, no, let your direction under the truth and the grace of Jesus continue to point towards him and tell the truth. And Jesus is saying the same thing. If you said yes, let your yes be yes there and there and there. If you said no, let your no be no there and no there and no there. Consistently. And last, and we're going to close here. I'm actually going to pray through the last uh, stanza of this poem together. Because it's a cry, and I think the danger is, you remember what I said at the very beginning, I said if, if we don't take heart with the first two verses, we're going to come through the rest of this, we're absolutely feel like we got beat tonight. Under the grace of Jesus, that is not the way that this should come off to us. I want this to be the anthem that we cry out to God for. And David ends this way. He says, morning by morning, listen, it's hardcore. I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of God. Now, the city of God was literally an illustration of heaven come down to earth. What, God, do we have to do to bring about the health and the beauty and the glory that you planned when you created humanity and gave them all of creation to go into it, to multiply, to create, to be my agents? What is it, God, that you would call me to do? That's what I want our prayer to be tonight. That we're going to early in the morning, morning by morning, early in the morning, the first thing in that private early hour as we start our day, we're going to focus and aim ourselves away from evil and towards good. We're going to train our gaze on you, Lord. We're going to pay attention to your word. We're going to know the goodness of your presence instead of anything else. We're going to cut it out of our life. Then he says, destroy the wicked, cut off evil. Listen, here's a way to think about this. For those I protect and from those I serve today, I will destroy the wicked and I will cut off evil. I will love steadily and loyally the ones I lead. And I will discern a just and upright course of action within the community around me, my family, my friends, my work and company for all those I influence in my life. I will stand on the wall. I will protect, I will care for, I will nurture, and I will not allow these things under the sphere of my influence, least of all in my own soul and heart. That's the commitment. So just now in this posture, as we come to a close, I want to pray. I want to pray together as a church. The prayer team is going to be up here after. If you want to come down and you want to share places of your heart and parts of your soul that have been fractured and fragmented, sometimes not even by your own doing but by others hurt around you. If the longing of your heart is this cry of David's heart, of what God wants and longs for us, then come down afterwards. Pray with our prayer team. Talk to them about what's going on in your life. And so to close, I just want you to, in a posture before the Lord, I want you to pray with me these these prayers. On morning by morning, God, see if there is any unclean thing in me, Lord. And take it out to the trash if there is. In its place, show me goodness 
and truth and uprightness to fill me all the way up. God, would you do that for us morning by morning? Give us resolve. Give us commitment. Give us grit to be serious about wholeness and wholesomeness and holiness. And God, when it comes to wickedness in us and cutting evil out of our lives, fill us with your steadfast love and justice, Lord. Come to us with passion and show us your righteous way. I want your presence that I may love with grace and truth. Enable me to faithfully discharge my calling to affect others to the very best of my ability. Help me to eliminate evil in the systems around me and to reject sin for you and for your sake and for the sake of those who depend on me. And God, a prayer for the city. May this community be called the city of the Lord and may it prosper and thrive here as it does in heaven under your goodness and your reign. Lord of grace and truth, mercy and justice, love and faithfulness, teach us to imitate you and bear witness to your character here, Jesus. Help us be agents of your will on earth just as it is in heaven. God, I know right now that in this place, your Holy Spirit is moving I know there are hearts that are broken. I know there are hearts that are shattered. God, I just, I just come before you in a posture of humility that you would take those hearts, that you would take our hearts and that you would help us to do what we cannot do in and of ourselves. And that is to be filled with steadfast love in the places where we are feeling broken, in the relationships that we do not know how to love, in the places that we we have been self-righteous, in the places that we have been defensive. God, would would you just pull those things away where our pride has inhibited you? Open us up. In order to be a city that is the city of the Lord. We absolutely need you to fill us so we can go into our communities and do this. And so that's, our, that's the cry of our heart tonight. That in integrity, that in grace and truth, we would follow you with passion. that people would see something so remarkable, so different, so life-giving, so hope-filled, that they'd be amazed and that they would be drawn to you because of us. I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, we'll see you next week.